If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, come check out one of my Write Your Screenplay classes. You can attend in New York City, online, or even as part of one of our weekend intensives. The class will get really deep into structure, how to build your structure organically, how to find your character, your voice, your images, your dialogue, and how to weave all those things together in a way that transcends the formulas and takes your writing to the next level. So you can find more information about that as well as a full transcript of this podcast at my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Beautiful Boy by Luke Davies and Felix von Hrunigen. And this is a particularly interesting film to discuss in light of our last podcast, where we talked about Destroyer and the use of flashbacks in a movie. Beautiful Boy is also built around flashbacks, but tends to earn those flashbacks in another way. So we're going to be looking at Beautiful Boy to talk not just about flashbacks, but about structure and about how do you make those structural decisions in your film? Where does structure actually come from? If you have seen the film or read reviews of the film, you know that the response has ranged really wildly from those who think it's one of the most beautiful films ever made to others who feel like it only scratches the surface of the addiction issue, who have even compared it to a beautifully produced PSA. But whether you were deeply moved by the film or felt like it only scratched the surface for you, there is no doubt that the way Beautiful Boy is constructed grows out of its theme. Beautiful Boy comes at the issue of addiction in a much different way than a movie like Half Nelson or Requiem for a Dream. It's actually adapting two different books. One nonfiction memoir written by David Sheff called Beautiful Boy, and one written by his son, Nick Sheff, entitled Tweak. What the film is basically doing is taking these two nonfiction works and squeezing them together. But it is still primarily looking at the issue of addiction through the eyes of the father, David, played by Steve Carell. And in looking at the father, it basically makes the assumption that we see towards the end of the film when David and his wife Karen find themselves at a 12-step meeting for parents of addicts. And the sign proclaims, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, I can't fix it. The movie comes at the character of David Sheff from that point of view. This is not a movie about how do the pitfalls of parenting lead to addiction. This is not a movie about how that empty space in Nick that he describes got created in the first place. This is a movie about a guy who is a good parent, who has a son who is a good kid, both fighting the same issue and both failing. Now, whether you agree with the psychology and the sociology of that or not, that is the thematic place that this piece starts from. We're not looking at bad fathers and bad sons. We're not looking at 
ugly people addicted to ugly things. We're looking at a loving family torn apart by addiction. Now, this doesn't prevent the movie from getting deep or complicated in some places. For example, there is a wonderfully complicated scene where David Sheff smokes a joint with his son, Nick, not knowing that his son is addicted to a whole array of drugs, thinking that he is creating a special moment at his son's request. There is a very complicated moment when David buys cocaine himself and has a one-night cocaine binge where he is trying to feel what his son is feeling or maybe just trying to escape. So coming at these characters in this way is not limiting the ability to go deep, but it does cut a lot out. And this is true whenever you're using theme. Theme is a way of looking at your structure and saying, what am I going to show and what am I going to not show? What am I going to dive deep into and what am I going to skim over? Where am I going to focus my attention? Because the truth is, in an hour and a half, or in this case, a two-hour long movie, you can't do everything. So you have to choose the things that you want to do. You have to choose where to point your camera and where to point your words so that you know what you're looking at and what you don't want to look at. And some people are going to love the choices you make, the people who are wrestling with the same theme. In this case, the parents who see themselves as great parents with great kids who are victims of a horrible disease. And other people are not going to like your decision. For example, the people who are interested in the psychology that creates addiction or the sociology that creates addiction. And so this camera shows us some things but doesn't show us others. Other things from the true story. For example, we are told that Nick primarily was into crystal meth, but mostly we get to see him use heroin. And while Nick certainly did use heroin, the choice to switch the drug he's using switches the behavior and switches our feeling about Nick, allowing us to see him through a different window. There was a period where Nick was prostituting himself for drugs. There was a period where he was attempting robbery, although he says that he was never very good at it. There was a moment where, in a Requiem for a Dream style moment, where he actually almost did lose his arm. But these moments are cut out of the film in order to focus on what is beautiful about this boy in order to focus our attention not on the ugliness of what an addict is willing to do, but on what happens to a beautiful person when a terrible addiction takes them. Similarly, in writing his memoir, David Sheff went through a very interesting experience. There was a period where he experienced a brain hemorrhage and actually had to learn to write again. In his words, it was like his brain was a broken suitcase full of scrambled items that he had to fit together. That part of his story is entirely left out of the film, as is what caused his divorce in the first place or how that affected the children or what the parental rifts between father and son were outside of this horrible addiction. And whether you agree with it or not, that is an artistic choice. That is the writer choosing not to lie, but to focus the camera. Not to focus the camera on the full complexity of the relationship, but to focus the camera on what is beautiful about these two people. And that's mostly what we get to see. We get to see Steve Carell play the dad that we all wish we could have. The 
father who is going to be there, who is going to be understanding, who is going to be full of love, who is going to create so many beautiful, magical moments for his children in this beautiful, wonderful house with his wife who is full of art. And though he's not a perfect person, he is always a good dad. And similarly, we're going to see Nick, who may be in the thrall of a horrific addiction and may be making some really terrible choices, but who in his moments of lucidity is the boy that we all wish we could have. You may agree with this decision or you may disagree with this decision, but this is a creative decision built out of theme. And that theme trickles all the way down to each little moment of how this film is shot, the beauty and the nostalgia of each shot. And it also trickles all the way up to the title, Beautiful Boy. The whole film is built around this decision. And that's why the structure of this film is so much different from so many other addiction movies that we have seen. Which brings us to the flashbacks. While we never do see the brain hemorrhage that occurred to David during the writing of his book, we do get the feeling of a brain that's like a broken suitcase full of scrambled items that have to fit together. One of the big choices made structurally in this piece is that we are not going to watch the film in linear order, nor are we going to watch a traditional flashback structure. Rather, present and past are going to swirl and cycle around each other. Good things and bad things, getting on the drugs, getting off the drugs, moments of hope, moments of despair. And this is built for a reason, because this is a story about a father chasing his beautiful boy and a son chasing that first moment that he took drugs and felt like his life went to technicolor. This is about two different people chasing this feeling that they once had that they lost. And we're going to watch Steve Carell's character, David, chase his son. We're going to watch his wife chase their son. We're going to watch his ex chase their son. We're going to watch all three of them become addicted to their son's addiction, become addicted to the need to help him. They're going to spend the whole movie chasing this child until finally they reach the moment where they stop. And similarly, we are going to watch this child chase that feeling as well, chase that first high, and we're going to watch him struggle we're going to watch that desire come over him again and again and again every time it looks like he's going to get clean. And we're basically tracking his journey towards that stopping point as well, even though it's a stopping point we never know if we're going to reach. Now, how is this built structurally? Like in any family relationship, when we react in a moment, we're not just reacting to that moment. We're reacting to every moment we've experienced around it. We're reacting to every memory. And particularly in this film, which is about chasing that feeling, when David Chef is chasing his son, he is not just chasing the 18-year-old version of the son. He's chasing the 5-year-old and the 10-year-old and the 3-year-old version of his son. He's chasing every beautiful moment that they ever had. And that chase is not always in alignment with the reality that's happening now, just as the chase for Nick is not always in alignment with the reality of what's happening now. 
the way that that is created is with a series of flashbacks. And those flashbacks are given order and structure through a very simple approach, which is to keep coming back to the same locations. There's a risk when you build a movie like this of everything just spiraling out of control, of the film feeling like a big mushy circle without any forward motion. There's a risk of it feeling more like a portrait of a world rather than the movement of a journey. And there's a part of the theme that requires that feeling. But the piece also has to work as a film. And this is what you want to think about as you're building your structure for your own movies. A lot of people think that structure is some kind of formula of what has to happen on page 10 and what has to happen on page 30 and what has to happen on page 90, what has to happen in act 1 and what has to happen in act 3. But nothing could be further than the truth. Getting frustrated with formula, other writers reject structure entirely and they feel like, oh, structure is just a game for the commercial filmmaker. That if you're telling a beautiful character-driven story, you don't need any structure at all. You just need to capture these moments. But that rarely works either. The formulaic structure is going to lead you to a predictable, probably boring, and probably not very truthful film. The no structure is going to lead you to a beautiful hodgepodge of images that don't actually hold together. So if you want to learn to build structure, you have to understand what structure actually is and how you actually find it and how you actually learn about it. Structure grows out of your theme. Structure is the container for your movie that only your movie could be contained in. Structure actually occurs on two different levels. On the first level, we have primary structure, and primary structure is the story of how your character experiences the movie, the choices that your character makes that lead up to their big change. Secondary structure, on the other hand, is the story of how the audience experiences the movie, the way that the audience experiences and understands the movement of your character's journey and tells themselves the story of how your character changed. But both your character structure and your audience's structure, both your primary structure and your secondary structure, they are both built around the same principle, which is characters making choices that change them. What this means is that though your film is likely, if it's successful, to have some version of a seven-act structure for reasons that I discuss in my Write Your Screenplay class and a lot of other podcasts, what actually happens in each of those seven acts varies tremendously from film to film. And the way those acts are put together varies tremendously from film to film because it grows out of the theme. It grows out of the writer's intention. In this movie, the theme is beautiful boy and every single thing is feeding that theme. It's about a beautiful boy and it's about a beautiful father. And structurally, it's building up to the moment where dad stops chasing and mom stops chasing. And stepmom stops chasing. And that moment is beautifully dramatized in an actual chase scene. There's a gorgeous moment when Nick's stepmom, Karen, takes off in her van chasing Nick and his girlfriend who have just broken into the house trying to get money. They have this beautifully shot, very simple chase sequence until finally she chooses to stop the car and let him go. And it's such a beautiful way of dramatizing and punctuating the change for that character. And what it allows us to do is get that feeling that everything that was cycling, everything that was circling, has suddenly stopped. We feel and we process that change. And because the movie's built thematically, out of that we get to see Steve Carell stop. 
we get to see the first scene when Nick calls his dad and asks to come home, and his dad chooses not to take him in. We then get to see the moment where Nick's mother, David's ex-wife, Vicky, comes to a stop when she tries to push David to keep trying to save their son's life and when she hits the roadblock that he's not willing to do it anymore. And because the movie is cyclical, we then move from that stop to a new moment that I'm not going to ruin for you, which is filled with all the ambiguity of addiction all the questions of addiction, all the complicated trust issues around addiction. What we're basically watching is a movie that both doesn't have structure, that is both the cyclical feeling of addiction, the cyclical feeling of parenthood, the feeling of everything happening at the same time. And we're also watching a movie that has a very clear structure that has seven acts of the parents chasing the child in different ways into the moment that each of them stop. And this is the beautiful thing about structure. Structure is the hardest thing to do. But when you finally get it right, it always boils down to something simple. In fact, you need that simple structure in order to free your subconscious creative mind to fill it in, to actually explore. You need something so simple that you can keep it in your head or write it on a flashcard so that it can be the guiding spirit of what you're building rather than being the complicated thing you keep having to come back to. The journey to find that is a complicated one and it often feels like a yellow brick road, but it grows out of very simple concepts, the same concepts that we talk about here and in our classes, those simple concepts around how we build change. Beautiful Boy has a flashback structure, but those flashbacks don't exist to tell a story to the audience. They exist, just like the flashbacks in Destroyer, to illuminate the theme of the piece, to drop you into the feeling of a good dad with a good son, to amplify the beauty in Nick, even as we're seeing the ugliness, the beauty in David, even as we're seeing the anger, the beauty in all of these characters, even as they struggle. And that theme exists based around the beliefs of the writer, highlighting the things that matter, the idea for this writer that this is about a terrible disease from which parents and children need help. So on the character level, the circular structure exists in order to create a feeling that relates to the theme. And though that structure is different than the structure that we see in most movies, ultimately it takes us through the same movements. The tools that the writer uses to do that are first punctuating those turning points, taking the internal feeling turning points and extrapolating them into dramatic moments where we can feel the big choices as they get made on the outside rather than having to understand them on the inside, where we can actually see them happening in front of our eyes. But they also use a very simple idea, which is location. By simply coming back to the same places, we end up creating a structure that we can understand. In fact, the story of Nick's fall can be told basically in three scenes at the same diner. There's a scene early in the film where David goes to meet Nick at a diner that mattered to him. And we see in flashback as he's talking to Nick, who shows up high, of course, and says some of the cruelest things that he'll say to David. We see that as he's there, he's not just interacting with Nick. He's also experiencing a previous scene at that diner at the same time. A moment when father and son shared a beautiful, innocent connection at that diner. And the third time we come to that diner, 
is towards the end of the film, and Nick is there alone. And he is in the depths of his addiction, and at the same time, he's doing the beautiful thing that we've always wanted him to do, which is he's finally writing something. And it's at the bathroom, that diner, that we will actually see Nick in his darkest moment, his moment where he is most alone. And so through these three little scenes at this one place, we're able to take what would feel like a mush of past and present and future and instead get a structure by coming back to the same place in different ways. We tell ourselves the story of what happened when dad stopped chasing his son. We tell ourselves the story of a movement from total connection to total aloneness. And then in the final act of the film, we find ourselves on the other side. And this is what's really beautiful about the film because the film is building both primary and secondary structure at the same time. It is creating a feeling for the audience of a dad who has experienced past, present, and fear of the future all at the same time. Of a son who's experiencing past, present, and fear of the future all at the same time. Of a family experiencing past, present, and fear of the future all at the same time. And at the same time, by using locations that matter, by using images that matter, by coming back to reflections of the things that we've seen before, and by extrapolating the inner feelings into conscious external choices, the film is creating a feeling of structure for the audience, a feeling of secondary structure that allows us to interpret this fugue of emotions in a way that has meaning and movement, and that brings us to the thematic conclusion that the writer wants us to experience. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast. 